All right. Everybody cruise on back in. We are we're beginning our um, second week of the Exodus series. We plan to go Exodus right on through to the Kings by Christmas, sort of our general idea. And um, so I'm going to talk about Moses and the burning bush. And let me give you a little bit of background. How many of you were here last week? Now, how many of you weren't? That's more important. They won't usually raise their hands over it. How many of you were somewhere last week? <laughs> oh, several. Okay. Well, looking at the history of Israel, uh, who were the Jacob's children. Jacob, of course, is the same person as Israel. Um, one thing we see is that... Um, Jacob's children sold Joseph into slavery, lied to Jacob, their dad, and said basically he'd been devoured by wild beasts. And 22 years later, the sons of Jacob, Joseph's other brothers, wind up in Egypt. Joseph is the prince of Egypt. How many of you saw that movie? It's probably not accurate, and I don't know anything about it, but I just thought about that. Anyway, so Joseph rescues his family, brings them to Egypt. Where they live, they prosper for 30 years. But a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. He became afraid of their great number. Over a long period of time, the children of Israel became, I think the number is 2 million. So when Moses takes him out of Egypt into the promised land, he's basically trying to pastor 2 million people. Um, but Pharaoh becomes afraid of their numbers and their strength, and he enslaves them. He made their lives bitter. Then he ordered the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, to kill every male child that was born. When that plan failed, Pharaoh then ordered every male Hebrew born to be drowned in the Nile River. So, a Hebrew child uh, was born who became Moses, but actually Moses is his Egyptian name. That's what Pharaoh's daughter named him a little bit later. But when Moses was born, after three months, his mother put him in a basket and laid it in the reeds by the river. His sister, Moses' sister, watched to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter went down to the river to bathe. She heard the young child crying, had mercy on him. And Moses' sister offered to find a nurse for the child who turned out to be Moses' mother. So Pharaoh's daughter raised Moses as her own son, gave him the name Moses, which means drawn out. She said, because I drew him out of the water. Now, when Moses was 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrew brethren. So what happens here is for 40 years, Moses grows up as the son of Pharaoh. He has all the assets, all the benefits, all the experience, all the privilege of growing up in the household that basically was the most powerful nation uh, in that part of the world on the, for years. So Moses sees an Egyptian beating up one of his 
Hebrew brethren. He kills him, hides him in the sand. Pharaoh heard what Moses did and sought to kill him. So Moses fled and lived for another 40 years as a shepherd married to the daughter of the priest of Midian. And that's where today's message begins with Moses at 80 years old, tending the flocks of his father-in-law. And what we find is he led the flock to a place called Horeb, H-O-R-E-B, became known as the mountain of the Lord. That's later the mountain God appeared to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. But he is taking the flocks out to Horeb. Now the idea here is that it was a dry place. It's called the backside of the desert actually in the uh, book of Exodus. But if you study it, it was actually a very green and verdant place. It was a place where he would take animals to feed. So let's jump into chapter 3 of the book of Exodus and see what God has to say to us. Let's pray. So why don't you stand up? Let's pray together. I think God wants to really speak to people today. I really do. And how disappointed must Moses have been to grow up for 40 years thinking he could rule Egypt and deliver his family only to commit a terrible crime and spend the next 40 years tending sheep? What, what state of mind would he be in? I think it would have been a pretty negative state of mind. But, Father, we've set the stage for you to speak to us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to pick out parts of this message that are meaningful and, and open our hearts to who you are, how you feel about us, and what you want to do for us. Lord, and how we should really respond to you. We just ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can, you can have a seat. I'm going to give you a little short outline about what I want to cover today, and I don't know that I'll be able to do it because this is a, a, a portion of Scripture that is just cram-packed with things worth talking about and thinking about. But... Point number one, God knows how you feel. Let's say that together. Let's say I instead of you. God knows how I feel. Number two, God has a plan to help me. It's a plan to help me. Number three, supernatural experience is essential. Experience is essential. Number four, Robin is awesome. No. Yeah, there you go. Come on. Give that lady something. (laughs) Faith is essential for us to succeed. succeed. Okay, here we are. If I had my way, I would look at one verse of Scripture and talk about it for an hour. But I don't think I'm supposed to do that. But I do want to read this. Now, Moses was, if you want to go to Exodus chapter 3, this would be a good time time to do it in verse 1. I'll probably read, uh, I'll probably read 10 verses. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked 
And behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So... I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you, poor Moses, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This was a huge turning point in the history of the nation. This burning bush encounter was actually the time where the history of the children of God went from, was going to go from being enslaved to becoming a conquering, self-sufficient, major national force or international force in the world. One of the things I thought about was um, they were in Egypt 430 years. They were in slavery for 400 years. Now, if you think about how long 400 years is... Um, that is longer than the life of the United States as a free independent nation. It's a, it's a very long time. And, and that's a little bit disconcerting. I think it, if you had lived then and you were in year 200, you'd have 200 years more before you get set free. It'd be very frightening. Of course, you wouldn't know. But here's the thing I began to realize this deliverance came after 400 years. That, that is a very frightening concept to realize you could live your entire life back then enslaved and never know what it was to be a free person. Now, so you have a deliverance once every 400 years. How many people be excited about that? Let me see. This is... 2017. Okay, great. 2417, man. We got it made. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. Or what would it, whatever it would be. Anyway, when Jesus came, I don't know, have you remember uh, the, the passages in Isaiah 60 and 61? Jesus winds up saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for his anointed me to, and then he goes into this litany of uh, preach the gospel to the poor, give sight to the blind, to preach what year of the Lord? Do you remember? 
the acceptable or favorable year of the Lord. Now, when Jesus was preaching that in Isaiah, the favorable or acceptable year of the Lord was the literal year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee was something God tried to institute within the nation. They never did. And here's what it was. Every 50th year, every slave, every in, in the Hebrew nation, every Hebrew slave, every Hebrew, Hebrew debtor uh, were forgiven their debts. They were released from bondage and they got their property back. Now, what that did was it kept any family or any tribe in Israel from becoming a perpetual um, impoverished tribe. You may not know this, but when um, uh, Israel went into the promised land, every tribe was given land and property. So when Jesus came preaching the acceptable year of the Lord, what he was actually doing was instituting a permanent, ongoing year of Jubilee. Instead of a deliverance coming sporadically or a deliverance coming once every 400 years, Jesus instituted a deliverance that could come now for anybody whenever they needed it. And see, that's what you begin to see here. When you're looking at the Old Testament, you begin to get a progressive vision or viewpoint of what God wanted to do on a much more consistent basis. So, let's look at God knows how you feel. You know what's even better than that? God knows how you feel and he's concerned. You know, it'd be one thing if you knew how you felt and you said, tough. But that's not it. He knows how you feel and he's concerned. When you look in verse 7, the Lord said this, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So we see those three expressions. God, seen their oppression, heard their cry, know their sorrows. And back in um, the second chapter, verse 23 and 24, we get another picture. It says, it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob, looked upon the children of Israel and acknowledged them. And so that's the picture you have. We have, have an Old Testament picture, really, of the love of God. Not, not a God who, who doesn't care, but a God who says about this particular people group. He has seen their condition. He has heard their cry. And he knows their sorrow. I believe, too, this foreshadows the incarnation and the cross of Jesus. Um. One one of the challenges I have as a pastor is is um, trying to help people who are brokenhearted through um, some tragedy, a death, or uh, particularly death of someone close. And you know, and, and this is sort of a word to the wise. It, it, it's not really very wise to say stupid things to people who are hurting. Like explain to them 
God need another angel in heaven and he took, you know, or that. Come on. What you really ought to do is just listen to him, hug him. Tell him you're sorry. Tell him you care for him. One thing I have recognized is this. Because at any given point, people have a question. Why did this happen? How many of you have ever asked that question of something that went on in your life? Why me? Why us? Why them? Why did this happen? Well, you know, the thing I've recognized is I'm not going to say God won't explain to you. I'm not saying he won't give you a reason about why something's happened. But I do know this. A lot of times it doesn't come quickly. Maybe that doesn't come at all. But here's what I do know that the Lord showed me. Even when he doesn't explain why, here's what he did. He participated. What do you mean? He became a person. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, just yesterday. It might have been the day before, but we were talking about people who have gone to heaven and then had to come back. Guess how many of them wanted to come back? Zero. Zero. And there are actually accounts of people. Now, this is hard to believe, but I don't. That's okay. You'll be all right. There have been frequent reports of people wanting to fight whoever it was in heaven that was sending them back. I actually know um, uh, someone that works with Heidi Becker. His name is Saprisa or Surprise. I think it's Chitoli. And he has seen any number of people raised from the dead. And he was telling me about this one woman who died. And they were praying for her. And she, she came back from the dead. And she was so disappointed. And so they asked her, well, tell us what happened. And she said, well, you know, I, I uh, dipped snuff all my life. And, uh, but when I, went to, when I died and I went to heaven, I discovered I had on these beautiful, beautiful white garments. But then I noticed I had, if you know anything about dipping snuff, you get these little tobacco drains that sort of come down. It's pretty nasty, actually. You leak and it, you know. So, so there she is in heaven with snuff on her face in this brilliant white garment. And an angel came up to her. Now, this is the woman's testimony who was raised from the dead. Angel came up to her and and said, "Um, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to do something about, um, you have to clean up your faith. She said, well, where can I do it? And he said, well, just go, just go right around the corner there. And so when she went right around the corner, she woke up (laughs) and she was back here. Now, what's the point? Here's the point. Who would want to leave heaven and come back into this confusion? And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. He became a man. He became the incarnation. But he did more than that. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. In other words, Jesus may not explain Different aspects of life for the just shall live by faith. But here's what he's done. He's participated. He can say to the nth degree, I have seen your oppression. I have heard your cry and I know your sorrow. 
Actually, I love that verse in, um, I believe it's, maybe it's in Malachi, where God puts our tears in a bottle. I have a feeling that heaven is confused over how little people in the world know the love of God. I have a theory. I have a theory that um, there's so much confusion in the church because people are substituting doctrinal concepts and viewpoints to fill that vacuum they still have in their hearts about how God feels about them. It's just a personal opinion. But point number one is God knows how you feel. That should be really of tremendous comfort. How does he know? You know, when he died on the cross, I think he experienced something we will never comprehend. It was, it was some kind of a cosmic event that, that was so significant it could reconcile, in essence, all creation to its maker, no matter what their condition, if they would believe. I mean, there's participation involved, but it was such a huge event. It, it changed the, the entire direction of humanity, if you want to put it that way. Okay. Number two, God has a plan to help you. How many of you are happy about that? I remember the old um, four spiritual laws. God has a plan for your life. I remember in college when I, or I had, I'd had a skirmish with Jesus, but I had not given in yet. How many of you ever went through that phase of your Christian life? You got wounded, but you weren't dead. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell that story. I'll just go on. Anyway, God has a plan to help you. In chapter 3, verse 8, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey. And so God really wants to improve our lives. He wants to provide better things for us. And I did notice two phrases in that verse 8. He said, I have come down to deliver them and to bring them up. So God came down to bring us up. And it's just such an amazing picture of the humility of God. We're going to see, too, when we really take a look at um, the burning bush, um, just what God's like as he relates to, to men. So now the interesting thing about God has a plan to help us. He wants you involved. His plan to help people involves using you. He said, I've come down to deliver them in verse eight. But then he says to Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. So Moses went through 80 years of confusion. How many of you could buy into this? Moses went through 80 years of confusion, disappointment, complications, because God wanted to deliver 2 million people from a 400-year slavery. It's like Moses' life had virtually nothing to do with Moses. Moses. 
how many of you in this room have gone through things you don't understand and it's not really dawned on you. Number one, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And number two, it's to prepare you to help other people who couldn't take what you went through so that you could help them through what they're going through. That's what it is to be a real Christian, ladies and gentlemen. You're not your own. Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe you're disappointed. You know, have you ever heard life's not fair? Let's say that together. Life's not fair. But here's the problem. It is fair. You know why? Because it's not fair for everybody. Right? Do you see how self-centered we are? Life's not fair. Well, it's not fair for everybody, so that means it is fair. Take your lumps. Quit complaining. Get on with it. Ask God, why am I miserable? (laughs) Why hath this happened unto me? Right? Come on. Come on. God has a plan to help you. But he wants to use somebody else to do it. He want, and if God has a plan to help them, he wants to use you. Now, number three. Supernatural experience is essential. I, let me see. I have to think back. Um, six years ago, I was going to preach at a Presbyterian church. And I was asking the Lord... Uh, What do you want me to talk about? And I felt like the Lord said, it's time for another Bush administration. And I went, oh, what like uh, George W. (laughs) What are you you talking about? He wasn't talking. You know, most of our problems won't be resolved politically. He was talking about a burning Bush administration. It's time for people to meet God on that, on that level. And when you look at the burning bush, it's such, it's, it's, it's hard, it's hard to believe that the turning point in Israel's history came because an 80 year old man had a discussion with a sticker bush. Does that not somehow bother you that God showed up in a bush? Does that not somehow, um, don't you say, what? What if I told you, man, I had an amazing encounter last night. (laughs) This is going to change the entire United States. What happened? (laughs) I was back in the backyard pruning the bushes you know that's not true right there me pruning bushes but i was no i was back in the backyard watching donna prune these bushes and suddenly this fire is talking to me do you see how we run by these things and they don't affect us at all I mean, we run right, yes, praise God, there's Moses, 80 years old, he was old, 40 years with Pharaoh, 40 years, 80, burning bush, woo, get out, get out, get out, let my people go, Passover, the Ten Commandments, 
No, he was talking to shrubbery. I've seen God do stuff. And people say, that's not God. And I think, have you read this book? Have you read it? Oh, God wouldn't do that. No, he wouldn't do that, would he? But he would talk to people out of a bush. Now, I love that. There's something about that that just so thrills me. But here's why it's important. It says in verse 4, So when the lost Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him. What's the implication? If he'd walked on by, God wouldn't have said anything. He'd have never really gotten the message. What's the point? Well, you have an ability you cannot disregard. It's called responsibility. How many of you know God's spoken to you in the past? Turn around. Everybody, keep your hands up. Just turn around and look what this crowd believes. You, you would not fit in a lot of places. I'm. But see, your ability to go farther than you have or farther than other people are willing to is in how responsible you are to respond to God in these secret, private, questionable, so-called ways. That's what makes the difference, is how you respond in secret places. And if you have been a Christian for very long, and if you've known the Lord uh, uh, to any degree, there are things you really don't want to tell other people about that's gone on between you and God. i got a whole notebook full of stuff. There are certain places I would be the heretic's heretic. And it has nothing to do with violating the Apostles' Creed. But there is this open-ended reality about how God wants to communicate with people. He turned a nation on its ear. He bankrupted the most influential, powerful nation in the world by talking to an old man from a sticker bush. This is amazing. I love that. I want to say it again, but I've said it twice. Curiosity. Curiosity is the key to spiritual growth. Well, I don't read my Bible anymore. Well, you've, you've, you've lost your curiosity. That's that you, you are satisfied, which is a bad thing. You need to get dissatisfied. I think lots of times we run into questions and issues because it's only... Um, when we have to wrestle with things we don't understand or we don't like or we can't get through or we can't get an answer for that actually really keeps us connected to God on an ongoing basis. Uh, we, you know, if we had everything we wanted, if life went exactly the way we wanted, we would walk away from God and condemn other people whose lives were not working. Come on, that's real good right there. That explains to you why sometimes your life gets turned upside down. It's something that goes on in us when we don't get our questions answered that helps us draw near to God if we get curious. It's important, curiosity. Now, um, let 
Yeah, I want to go to the next slide. This, this is incredible. Let's read this together. Let me tell you what this is. Moses lived basically 400 years after Joseph. But Moses prophesies about Joseph and his offspring here right before his death in Deuteronomy 33. This is recorded. Here's what it says. Let's read this together. And of Joseph, he said, Blessed of the Lord is his land with the precious things of heaven, with the dew and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of earth and its fullness. Now pay attention here. Read this carefully. And the favor of him who who did what? Dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of him who was separate from his brothers. Now, here's the problem. That word dwelt means to permanently reside. What does that mean? It means God didn't jump in that sticker bush 10 minutes before Moses came by. He had been there a while. Robin, that doesn't make any sense. I'm, 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 well, it, I don't know, but it doesn't make any sense. But it makes a lot of sense. Let's, 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 let's think about this. He, he didn't even appear to Moses in an in a impressive bush. I would have gone oak tree. I would have gone, what are those? Redwoods. What does God choose to dwell in? And I'll explain this here in a minute. Something brittle, something weak, something uncomfortable. Um, how many of you following me? Why would he choose that? Because he wants to live in anybody, the weaker, the better. Well, you know, that guy's got a pretty thorny personality. Yeah, I think God probably liked to live right there. Some people believe it was a blackberry bush. Why, why would God dwell? Now, here's why I believe why he wouldn't dwell. It's because God wants to emphasize the significance and the importance to every generation of his supernatural ability to manifest himself, to show himself in ways that don't make that much sense. In any revival I have ever heard about or read about, things have happened that have confused and um, caused people to wonder if it was really God. But you always look at the fruit. This is the God who dwelt in that place. That's amazing. That's amazing to me. The, the God of the universe, the God of the universe chooses to light in not even an imposing or impressive bush, but a blackberry bush, a sticker bush. It's just the humility of God. How many of you are familiar with the verse, for God resists the proud? Do you know who the most humble person in the universe is? It's, it's God himself. 
It's God himself. And so many of our problems, honestly, so many of our problems come from our arrogance, from our condescending attitude towards other people, and our criticism. And all of those are manifestations of of pride. But God dwelt in the bush. But here's what it also says. Does it, did you see there? And the favor of him. Let's read that together. Verse 16. And the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. When, when you can relate to a God who values humility. And when you can begin to value the meekest or the most humble or the weakest of people, the way God values them, you will begin to experience the favor of God on an increasing and higher level. You know, you've got to understand God picked the Jews because they were not the greatest nation. They were the least of all nations. God always condescends to the weak, to the poor, to the outcast. You know, our nation is in such a stew pot over um, people who are here and nobody, you know, do this, do that, do the other. I, I, can't, I can't answer what ought to happen politically. All I know is we ought to express as much kindness to as many people in whatever situation they find themselves in. And let smarter people than us work the details out. Because that's God's heart. That's God's heart. The God who dwelt in a, in a, in a bramble bush. The God who was willing to, um, really, he's willing to light his fire in the heart of anyone. Anyone who will look to him by faith. Any single person. One of the things, and I have to tie this up here in a second. The last point I was going to make was about um, without faith, we will, the essential, how essential faith is to success. And you see this in this story. Can you imagine God telling Moses, I want you to go tell the elders of Israel that I appeared to you. And he's got to explain this whole bush talking bush burning bush thing to the elders of Israel that took faith that took a lot of faith and there's other pictures of that too but I want to get to uh, there was one other thing as I was studying this this past week one of the one of the old one of the old commentators made this point of why it was so important that, that there was that picture of God in that bush. And I think, too, why it's so important to understand that concept of him having dwelt there. It, it, gave, it gave the Hebrew nation a sense of permanence. How was that, Robin? Well, what happened to the bush that burned? Was it consumed? No, because you can't destroy anything God's in. And see, that bush, too, was a picture, um, was actually uh, a picture of the nation. They had been in this furnace called Egypt 
for 400 years. So God comes as a fire, but he comes as a fire on something that could easily be consumed, that was scarcely even to be noticed. And yet God on that burning with great force and that thing was not consumed. Let me say this to you. Some of you have been through things uh, and you said, I am not going to make it through this. How many of you have said that? Raise your hand really high. You said, I'm not going to make it through. But here you sit. I guess you did. But, but here, here it is. You, you, can, you cannot destroy something God's in. You, you can't. And, and I think it really bothers the Lord when we go through things and we, we give in to fear. I, I, I don't mean it makes him angry with us. I mean it hurts him. He wants to be known as our God. He wants to be known as the one who takes us through whatever it is we face. I haven't talked about this in a long time, but I had an encounter with the Lord where I was caught up into the heavens and he showed me um, these five spiritual releases, um, five areas of blessing he wanted to impart to the world. And the very first one was this. He said he wanted to deliver people from what they deserved. So that's who God is. That's who God is. What do you mean? Well, you did the wrong thing. You see, this is not about doing what you thought was right and it not working out. That's not what he's saying, although he wants to deliver you from that too. He wants to deliver people from what they deserve. So many of us are... So I think so many of us, our faith begins to shrivel up because we haven't done things right. And I think God wants to deliver us from that. Now, it doesn't mean go do whatever you want to and he'll get you out of it. I think you can trespass. They call it trespassing on, on the grace of God. But I do know that's the heart of God. Anyone that turns to God, no matter how you got in the mess you're in, he wants to liberate you. He wants to free you. How many of you remember when Peter cut off the ear of the, uh, the uh, high priest servant in the garden? Do you remember what Jesus did? What did Jesus do? Well, the language says he reattached his ear. So Peter could have been crucified for having attacked the high priest and cut off his servant's ear. But Jesus actually destroyed the evidence. (laughs) What are you saying? He can do that. Listen, he can get people out of jail that got no business getting out. How? He just does stuff. Listen, we have a big God. We have a God that wants us to trust him, believe in him, and believe that he watches over his word to perform it. Whether you have an issue of not being healed or whether you have an issue of this not working or that not working, you cannot afford to give up on God. It's too early. It's too early to give up. Don't. 
Well, I don't deserve it. Good. Whoever doesn't deserve something from God qualifies for receiving something from the God of mercy and the God of grace. That's the characteristic he's looking for when he's looking for someone to bless. Someone who doesn't deserve it. And he prayed, may the God of grace reveal himself to us. That's who the God of grace is. Paul actually got accused of preaching sin that grace may abound. How many of you are familiar with that accusation there in the New Testament? Why would they say that about Paul? It's because Paul believed so much in the grace of God, some people might believe he actually believed that. Oh, that's too good, Robin. That, I'm getting ready to jump up and shout. Well, don't hurt yourself, please. God might not heal you if you strained a muscle praising him. Come on. Faith is essential. Supernatural encounters. How many of you want a supernatural encounter with God? I sure do. Why don't we pray? Let's ask God to start doing more for us. First of all, if if you need... If you need a deliverance in some way, shape, or form, raise your hand. Just raise your hand. I do too. My back hurts almost all the time. And I believe in healing. And But I'm not, you know, God watches over his word to heal. I'm believing God. I'm not giving up. If I go to my grave believing for healing, I don't get, guess what? I'll go to my grave believing for healing I didn't get. I told the Lord one time, if you don't heal me, I'm not going, I'm not going to preach on healing anymore. He just laughed. He, he really needs me, you know. <laughs> Father, look on us, those of us who need a touch, that need a miracle, that need a deliverance. Father, just in simple faith, lay hands on, lay, just touch each other in, in, in faith. Father, we release your answer. By the Spirit in whatever way, shape, or form it should take. Right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we release that now. Healing come, deliverance come, finances come, um, circumstances change. Oh, we ask, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I I love how um, Moses uh, had to turn aside to see the burning bush. And I want to make it a practice. Uh, So many times in my life, good things have come because I stopped and paid attention. or I stopped and turned aside. You might have already said this. I had to duck out of the meeting for a second. So if I remember repeating what he said, I'm sorry. But it's worth repeating. Right? And so that's something this week I'm going to do. I want to... Make time to turn aside. Turn aside. Um, we have so much information coming at us all the time. We stay constantly engaged or slightly engaged. There's a difference in fully engaged and kind of engaged, you know. We stay constantly hooked. And so I, I think that we'd be really surprised if you don't already do this. I hope you do. But if you don't already do this, and I do it sometimes and I forget how important it is to purposely disengage. Um, 
and turn aside and make that a regular practice in your life and maybe even try it uh, try a little harder this week just because of the message maybe reorient yourself in that way um anyway i i had that thought today and um i'd like to encourage you guys <laughs> to consider that all right well amen good message huh yep we have ministry teams you need prayer you need ministry they'll be over here um to pray for you and minister to you and love on you so all right have a good one